It is good to worship with you this morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, if you would, please grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be in verses 1 through 15. And we continue our series in Galatians, declaring alongside Paul, alongside Christian doctrine and tradition for 2,000 years, that Jesus is enough. And if you've been here, you've been watching in recent weeks, you know that we've been considering the beauty and the freedom of Christmas. Christmas is about the love of God to send His Son, as we read in Galatians 3, to be born of a woman, to be born under the requirements of the law. But for what purpose? To what end was this child born? To bring us true freedom and true joy. That's the purpose of Christmas. Not just in this life, but also in the one to come with Him in eternity, for eternity. And the Christian doctrine, the Christian teaching, the Christian life is not simply about going to heaven one day. But as Jesus prayed, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Being a faithful follower of Christ on this earth is about experiencing the heavenly realities of knowing and trusting and living for Jesus now. After our text last week, we considered Hagar and Sarah and the covenants that they represent, the realities they represent. And we find ourselves this morning in a chapter, in chapter 5, where Paul is about the business, not just of giving us a complex exegesis of theology, but a tangible, real, practical, pastoral, and clear way to live in light of the heavenly truths that we've been going over now for four chapters. If Sarah is our spiritual mother, if Abraham is our spiritual father, If we are not servants or slaves of sin in the world, but rather we are sons and daughters of God through faith. If we are growing in holiness, if our right standing with God is by faith in Jesus, if he is enough, how do all these realities affect me? How do they affect me in my day-to-day life? What do I do tomorrow when I'm at school and I have the choice to go into the bathroom and vape? What should I do when there is cultural pressure to identify, not according to who I am in Christ, but to identify by my race, my sexual preferences and choices, to identify by my job position? my socioeconomic status, my political affiliation, my sports team, or even identify with the sin that I struggle with? What do I do when in honest moments I admit that I fear if I live for Christ, I'll miss out on something and I'll lack real joy, and satisfaction. Brothers and sisters, the truth I think Paul would have us cling to 
Not make some cute mental ascent to. Not sew on a pillow and quote tomorrow. But what he would have us cling to is this reality. Jesus is enough. Because living for him, living for him is freedom. The great danger for us in Galatians 5 as we come here is to moralize our passage. And really to fall into the exact trap that Paul is warning these Galatian believers of. Whether you pick Old Testament laws or you cherry pick verses from the book of Galatians, you cannot, you cannot change yourself. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot earn more favor by God with your works. Paul uses this passage in chapter 5 to give direction, to give guidance to faithful followers of Christ based on who they are in Jesus. He gives direction Not so that you would become a faithful follower of Christ. But he gives direction based on who you already are in Christ. I'd like to draw to your attention to three words in our passage that communicate this this main idea here. Our first word is look. Look! Would you read with me, please, verses 1 through 6. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. I read this and I immediately think of a parent talking to their child. Whether it's a three-year-old that's distracted because the only thing they can think of is Iron Man, or it's a teenager who has teenager brain. Teenager brain fueled by Mountain Dew, Skittles, and whatever Olivia Rodrigo song they have stuck in their head at the moment. The picture is always the same regardless. A parent saying, look, look at me. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Some of you kids, many of you kids, you know this song and dance very well. And many of you parents, you've perfected it long before your kids ever showed up. When there is urgency... When there is grave concern, look, listen. And Paul's doing the same thing with these Galatian believers. And brothers and sisters, he's doing the same thing with us. Look, look. Don't drown me out. Don't get lost in the weeds. 
It seems, Paul, in this passage, he wants us to look namely at two things. Look, he says, look first at the truth of earning your way. Look! And I get this directly from verses 2 and 4. 2 through 4. Through four. Look, Paul says, if you accept circumcision, if you start picking up laws to make yourself right with God, if you say that Jesus is not enough, then you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Sometimes we need someone to say it to us plainly. And Paul does that. The truth of the matter is this. If you seek to earn your way, you may not be a faithful follower of Christ. You may proclaim with your lips that Jesus is enough. But you don't live as if it is a reality. Now, we can do this in a number of ways. I think intentionally and unintentionally. These Galatian believers, they did this by putting themselves back under the Old Testament law. How might you and I fall into this same trap at Lakewood? Well, if you think the way you dress earns God's favor, I am wearing a suit coat today, by the way. If you think that will earn God's favor, you're severed from Christ. If you think the church you attend earns God's favor, you are severed from Christ. If you think the music you listen to earns God's favor, you are severed from Christ. If you think the way you school your kids earns you God's favor, you are severed from Christ. If you think the way you vote earns God's favor, you are severed from Christ. If you think your marriage or your singleness earns God's favor, you are severed from Christ. If you are a Packers fan, we will pray for you. <laughs> now, listen, most of these are all good things. Look, look, Paul says. If you lean on, if you rely on human effort of your works rather than the finished work of Christ, you are not, you are not in accord with the gospel. Paul said this back in Galatians 2.21. He said, I do not nullify the grace of God because if righteousness were through the law, if righteousness were through human effort, then Christ died for no purpose. The truth is, if you rely on your obedience to any law to be right in God's eyes, you are functionally saying, in that moment, Jesus died for no reason. Jesus is not enough. And here's the danger of gauging our performance. Many of you are so hard on yourself. So you didn't read your Bible today. And in that moment, you think God's favor of you is less. You think you have to earn God's favor by your prayers and your reading and your service, should you do those things? Yes, brothers and sisters, pray, read, serve, love. But when your performance isn't what you would like it to be, 
when your Monday goes poorly. The danger is that we will look at our poor performance and we will functionally believe and say with our hearts and minds, Jesus is not enough because I didn't perform. No. The truth of earning your own way is you are severed. You are detached from Christ. Oh, God help us. God help us. But, you know, Paul, he doesn't just say look. He doesn't say, look, look, the truth of earning your way is you will never earn your own way. You will always leave unsatisfied and empty and failing. But he also says there's not just emptiness in earning your own way. That's the truth of it. But what about the truth of looking at receiving your way? And really, I get this directly from verses 5 and 6. There's a significant difference between earning your way and receiving your way. Receiving implies a gift. It implies someone has done something on your behalf and for your benefit. That's, that's receiving. And that's exactly what Paul's alluding to here. Read verse 5 again. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Well, what exactly is the hope of righteousness? And why are we waiting for it? Faithful followers of Christ eagerly, eagerly await to be with God intimately and fully one day in heaven. We have a taste of it here on this earth in an already but not yet reality. We taste heaven as God lives in us and through us. We taste heaven as we sing as the body of Christ. I got a little taste of heaven as we sang this morning. We taste heaven as God's word. It declares us righteous because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. We taste heaven as we receive the spirit of God. That confirms with our spirit that we are the children of God, the offspring of Abraham. But we do await a day where all the promises of God will be complete. We await the final day of human history on this earth. When the hope of righteousness will be concluded, God will look at faithful followers in Christ and say, You are righteous because of my Son. You are righteous because of what you have received, not through your work, but you are righteous because what you have received through His work. You are righteous, He will say. On that final day, you are righteous. Because Jesus is enough. Brothers and sisters, that is true freedom in Christmas. To have the hope and the earnest expectation of the smile of God upon us as we navigate this life and as we long for him in the next life in that celestial city. You know, we've talked about this in recent weeks about what it means to be a child of God, to be a son, to be an heir. And I can't get over this reality that we have received and that we will one day fully receive. And it's this, the final and forever embrace of a heavenly father. 
the final and forever embrace of a heavenly father. That's what awaits us. That's what we have received. That is the truth. Look, look, that is the truth you have received in Christ. As Paul says in verse 6, our works, circumcision, uncircumcision, our cultural identities, they're going to account for nothing on that final day. You will not stand before God on that final day. Him declaring you righteous because of the finished work of Jesus. And you say, well, God, God, hold on. Yes, the finished work of Jesus. But also, this cultural identity, this work I did. No. Circumcision, uncircumcision. This cultural identity, this cultural identity. In heaven on that final day, it will account for nothing. Because Jesus is enough. May we be a people who look, remember, and cherish the way, the peace, and the righteousness that we've received through Christ. That is the way. This is the way. That's not a Mandalorian reference. Jesus is enough. So our first word was, look. Look, Paul says. The second word I'd like us to consider in the freedom of Christmas is run. Would you read with me, please, verses 7 through 12? You were running well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not. It's not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord, that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul, as he does in other places in his writings, he refers to the Christian life. The life of faithful followers of Christ, he refers to it in athletic terms. I can't remember the last time I ran, but I'm, I'm commanded to, so I'm, I'm going to. And the author of Hebrew, he, Hebrews, he does this as well. He points to the life as of uh, a running of a race, a life for Jesus. But in our running, Paul points out a couple things in our verses that I think that we should be mindful of. First, I think he would have us be mindful of those who hinder us as we run. The word hinder in verse 7, look again at verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you? That word is actually a compound word. It's two words put together. Cut and in. Who cut in? Who hindered you? Perhaps you've had this experience. You're at Costco. You're buying bulk items that no human needs. 48 containers of mustard for $10.99. Well, you don't want to lose money, so you buy it. And as you stand in line with all the other crazies, there's always one oblivious person. They don't mean any harm, but they're oblivious, and they walk right in front of you. They jump in line, and they get scanned, and they checked out. They hindered. They cut in. 
They cut in line. They hindered you from your rightful place. They've slowed you down. That is a confession of my shopping this week. Not the mustard, but... And my friends, this is what Paul is getting at here in chapter 5. These Galatian believers, they were running the Christian life well. But these Judaizers, these legalists, they've cut in. They've slowed them down from running the life of faith in Jesus. And as he says in verse 8, faithful followers have been called. They've been called. Not to be persuaded by their own opinions or the additional requirements of some religious community, they've been called by the great shepherd to hear his voice, to follow him. This is what Paul is really alluding to. What exactly is it that hinders us? What slows us down? What cuts in on our life? Look at verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. This phrase might read a little funny to you. It sounds something like my grandma would say, or one of those southern phrases or idioms that has truth, but you just can't understand it, like pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. But Jewish tradition would have it, going back to Exodus 12 and the Passover, that leaven was a symbol. Leaven was a symbol for sin and evil in the world. And maybe, perhaps, you've been baking Christmas goods. Leaven is typically something like yeast that makes the dough rise in the oven. Jewish families during Passover, they would prepare their bread with no leaven. That's why it's flat bread. It symbolized getting rid of sin in their life. It symbolized the smallest amount of sin, not a rising in their hearts and in their lives. So what is Paul telling us and the Galatian believers? A little bit of sin affects everything. You can't dabble in legalism and not be affected. You can't dabble in earning your way to God and it not affect your relationship with Christ. That's what he's saying. And even more generally, as we run this life of faith, we shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that verse 9 is not true. When you and I choose to consume, my friends, when we choose to consume, Violence, materialism, criticism, pornography and lust, sinful thoughts and words, pride, anger, poor influences, or whatever other kind of leaven you can think of, when you choose even a little of this leaven, it does affect your running for Christ. Your relationship with him. So, brothers and sisters, may God help us to run faithfully. Choose your friends and your influences wisely. Hold every thought captive. Turn from sinful desires. A little leaven. 
A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's not just for kids to hear. That's for each of us. But before we move on to our last point, look again at verse 10, please. Paul has this amazing statement. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. I have confidence, he says. Now, Paul has strong words in verse 11 and 12. Paul used to preach circumcision and obedience to the law. And some might be arguing, it seems, that he's still teaching some kind of version of that. But clearly, that's not true. He's being persecuted because he's preaching grace. Not only that, Paul is protective of his friends. He wants their attackers to bear the penalty of this false teaching in verse 10. And he wants these legalists to harm themselves in verse 12 and to leave his friends alone. But verse 10 in this passage really pops. Despite his alarm, despite Paul's grave concern for their souls. Don't you remember what he said in Galatians 4? My little children, that Christ would be formed in you. Is he worried for their souls? Yes. But despite that, despite his hard language for these legalists, the children of slavery, these children of the law and what Hagar represents, those who hate God's promises, in this verse, Paul's confident. It's all going to work out, he says. He's spent the last four chapters communicating the freedom of Christ, the reality of grace, and the danger, the danger of adding to the gospel and earning your way to God's favor. But here, in verse 10, he says, I think it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. How? How could Paul say that? Hasn't he read the news? His Twitter feed? Turn on the television? Doesn't he see the cultural compromise of the church? Isn't Paul aware of false teachers and congregations being swayed by false teaching? Yeah, he knows. It's going to be fine. Paul has confidence because ultimately, ultimately, Paul's not in control. The Galatian believers are not in control. The legalists and the Judaizers are not the final word and authority. But Paul, he rests, he trusts, he believes, and he functions as if God is Lord of the universe. And if God is the sovereign Lord of the universe, then certainly the final word on the Galatian believers' hearts and the final word on our hearts as we run this Christian life, ultimately, it rests in God. It will be God by His Spirit who sustains them. It will be God by His Spirit who keeps His covenant promises to His people and shows these believers that Jesus is enough. Here's how I said it in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident, Paul says. Part of our running well, brothers and sisters, part of our running well is trusting in the Lord's providential and sovereign plan. So we pray, 
We trust, we work, we warn diligently, and we ultimately wait upon the Lord to accomplish His promises. Lakewood, may God help us to run well as faithful followers of Christ. In our families, in our communities, may we turn from leaven, turn from sin, and may we have confidence that the Lord is working in the midst of our lives and in the midst of the lives around us in this moment in human history. I have confidence, Paul says. Confidence because God is God. As we consider the freedom of Christ, we are to look. Yes, look. We are to run. And lastly, we are to love. Would you read, please, with me, verse 13 through 15? For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We'll be talking about love quite a bit in our next few sections as we draw to an end in our series in Galatians. But here for a moment, allow me to point out two implications of love in our text. First, loving God. This is more implied than explicit, but we read in verses 13 and 14 here that we are to not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, that is, to sin. And love is the means in which we fulfill the law of God. Now, here's the point. Trusting in Christ, being a faithful follower, means you and I will love God. And in your love for God, you will follow Him. You will take no opportunity for the flesh. You will joyfully obey Him. His commands. You'll honor Him with your life. Paul is not anti-law. He's anti-earning your way to God. And Paul is not preaching a freedom in Christmas that allows us to go do whatever we want. No. Maybe you said a prayer, you attend church, you, you think you live a certain way so I can go do whatever I want. I did my due on Sunday, I'll go live how I want the rest of the week. No. No, Paul's not saying that. What he's saying is that true freedom is when we truly confess and believe that Jesus is enough. His work and death on the cross, His resurrection, they make us right with God. True freedom means I don't have to earn my way, so, so in light of that, I can joyfully follow God and His commands. Here's how one song puts it. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, 
Jesus commands my destiny. Brothers and sisters, do we love God? If we love Him, then our lives will be marked by not taking opportunity to sin, but by joyfully following Him. Do we love Him? God, help me to love Him more. But not just loving God, also loving neighbor. We don't use our freedom in Christmas to sin, but to love, and to love God by serving one another. In fact, ironically enough, our love for one another fulfills the stipulations of the Old Testament law that Paul quotes in verse 14. Verse 14 is a quotation of what people call the Levitical Code of Leviticus 19. And it's funny because those Judaizers, those legalists, they're worried, oh, you gotta, you got to obey the law. And Paul comes in and says, if you are born of the Spirit, if you are declaring Jesus is enough, if you are loving God and loving your neighbor, you fulfill the Old Testament commands. And here is the great implication of freedom, of being a faithful follower of Christ. Do you love and serve your neighbor? The neighbor that you don't know the name of yet. Guilty. It's only been a couple months, so I'll give myself a break. Do you love your neighbor? Or in contrast, and not just your neighbor at your house, do you love the person sitting across from you? Or in contrast, in verse 15, do you bite and devour one another? The body of Christ, faithful followers of Jesus, and Lakewood Church will always, it will always be at its best when we are countercultural in our love and our service for one another. We live in a world that bites and devours one another. We live in a world that loves only their brand, their tribe, and the people who look and think like them. But freedom in Christmas is having a recalibrated mind, a changed heart in the gospel, being changed by Jesus in such a way that we are marked by genuine love for God and neighbor. Brothers and sisters are to have sincere affection and love for one another. There's got to be way more hugging and kissing here. Deep affection. I mean, some, not, some of you guys have some beards you need to get rid of maybe, but are we marked by this? Affection. Love for one another. We are to not use our liberty for selfish reasons, but for service. Because if you look and if you run, but you don't have love, then your looking and your running is in vain. It will accomplish nothing. Do you, do I, do we love God and our neighbor? Does our time, our money, our resources, our attitudes, and our choices reflect? Do they, do they all reflect a love for self or a love for God and neighbor? And I stand here confessing that far too often, 
my thoughts, my attitudes, my choices, my time, my money, all of it, it too often reflects a love for self. But by God's grace, you know what he's doing? He's changing this funny-looking guy up here, and he's creating a heart of love for God and neighbor. And brothers and sisters, by way of encouragement, you are a people who love neighbor, who love the body with your time, your money, your resources, your affection. You are doing these things by God's grace. May we do them even more. May we grow in them. Would the Brainerd Lakes area look at Lakewood Church and see a people marked by deep love and affection for God and for neighbor? Jesus is enough because living for him, that's true freedom. Pray with me. Father, would you be kind to recalibrate our minds and hearts by your Spirit to be different, to reflect Jesus, to be faithful followers of Christ? Not to be faithful followers of our own devices and plans and ideas, certainly not to be faithful followers of a world around us that does not know you, but would we look like Jesus. God, I'd ask that you give us opportunity this week to look, to run, and to love. Would people know in this Christmas season that true freedom comes from you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.